Welcome to The Politics Guys, a place for bipartisan, rational, and civil debate on American politics and policy. I'm Trey Orndorff, a political scientist at Oklahoma Christian University, and I'm joined by Michael Baranowski, a political scientist at Northern Kentucky University, as we tackle your questions in this Midweek Wednesday show. Welcome again this uh, today, Michael. Yeah, I, I'm uh, looking forward to uh, addressing some questions. I think we have some really good ones this week. You know, it is. I always love when listeners reach out because they have, you guys have some fascinating things and I love looking into it. Or sometimes I'll have things and I think I always want to talk about that. And this is, you know, it's my chance to do it. Uh, so we appreciate that. We want to start with a question, a listener question from online, uh, Keith And he said, as a fellow political nerd made the comment that Republicans are leaving the party in droves because of Trump. Trump currently has a 90% rating among Republicans. So here's what I'm wondering. Would his percentage actually get larger because the never Trumpers and others are leaving the GOP and make it more concentrated with Trump supporters? What do you think? Huh. You know, that that I think is a really interesting question i guess i would i would question the 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 premise uh and and the premise being that republicans are leaving the party in droves i think what's happening is that there are a number of high profile elite republicans who are anti trump but the idea that i think there's any significant uh number of of self-identified Republicans who are leaving the party because of Donald Trump. I, I just don't, I don't see any evidence of that. So, uh, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if you do, Trey. So I would think that that's probably not, at least based on what I know, probably not a correct premise. Yeah. I mean, I wish that I could say that I think more and more Republicans were like me and saying, look, Trump is the the bane of our party and our policies. Uh, I recognize that I'm an outlier and that's a, that's a tension for me. However, I I think it's unfortunate, but I don't, I, I too agree with Michael. I don't think that that 90% is the result of the, the population shrinking. I have not noticed a lot of people exiting the party. If anything, what I've noticed is an, an increase in attacks on people like myself who disagree with Trump. You know, I'll also say that I I think a lot of Republicans, the vast majority of Republicans, are are sort of along where Jay is on this issue, and where I bet you know you are maybe to a lesser lesser extent because you're less orthodox uh, orthodox conservative Republican in some respects than Jay is that the idea that yes, if you want to if you want this to be a referendum on Donald Trump's personality, I think you'll find plenty of Republicans who say, yeah, he's a he's a horrible person. Absolutely. I think he's a disgusting individual. But and the but is but the policies for the most part that he is pushing for are standard cookie cutter type of conservative Republican policies under Donald Trump. We have, we we will get, you know, we have gotten the Supreme court justice. We will get two Supreme court justices. Almost certainly we're getting the sort of tighter borders that we want. We're getting a tax cut. We're getting less regulation in so many ways. And so I think that those people are, well, no, I'm not, I'm certainly not abandoning 
my ideology abandoning my policy preferences just because the person who is at the, the head of my party who is helping to uh, advance these preferences is, you know, personally a disgusting individual. That's too bad. But that doesn't mean that I'm going to abandon my my policy preferences just because of it. And I think that's where most Republicans are. Then again, there are some people who just say, oh, yeah, Donald Trump, he's saying it like it is and don't know anything about policy. So I think that's what accounts for that 90 percent. Now, if Donald Trump started saying, you know, what we need is open borders. What we need is just a lot more focus on working with Democrats. And uh, I'm actually for taxing the heck out of the rich. I think then you might see some real shaking of that support. But of course, he's not doing that. I'm just going to add one thing, then we're going to move forward. And that is, I I am not sure about that anymore, Michael. Really? in, In the weekend show, you know, we were talking about how the the positions on trade are basically a fair trade position. I am not sure that if Donald Trump tomorrow came out and said, "You know what? It's uh, it's time now that we're gonna we're gonna tax the rich." I think a lot of problems are that. Yeah, that's what we're gonna do. I and that frustrates the ever everything out of me. But yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Well, that, yeah. Yeah. I, I think they're so entrenched. Yeah, I think they're yeah. just so entrenched now. I, I, I don't think they're willing. I mean, I don't know if that's always been the case, but I think they have now entrenched themselves so much in that defensive yeah. position that they can't imagine abandoning it no matter yeah. what battlefield circumstances arise. Well, you know, to me, I think that's an interesting point. To, to me, that kind of brings forth the. My my deepest of many, many, many disappointments about Donald Trump is when I was looking for that silver lining uh, in, uh, in November, late November of, of 20, uh, 2016, I thought, well, you know, he has these people who are so incredibly personally loyal to him. And what if he decided to chart a truly independent course and to drain the swamp and to really, really attack crony capitalism? Maybe he's the perfect person to do that. And, of course, he just decided that he wasn't going to do that at all. But, uh, you know, that was a, maybe a wasted opportunity, certainly. And that would go along the lines of what you're suggesting. Yeah. Well, for the second question, uh, we actually have kind of a bigger two part. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to summarize this a little bit. A few weeks ago that we had uh, discussed the proportional representation system as a way of deviating from two parties. And so... Our mild conservative, as he puts himself, uh, says that he's wondering about other kinds of voting reforms that might lead to a multi-party system. And then kind of as a second tag on question, uh, he wonders, what about this proportional representation? Because he says it kind of seems weird to him because you're voting for parties and not people. And that kind of strikes him as anti-democratic and anti-liberal. So, you know, how do we fit in on both of those questions? Hmm. Yeah, you know, it just reminds me of the conversation that I had with uh, uh, Glenn Wilde on the, uh, I think it was last Wednesday's show about about voting and the problems with one person, one vote. And I know you you uh, have talked about that before. I remember I recall an episode with Ken, maybe two actually, where you talked about that. Yes, and, yes. You know, I think like a lot of political scientists, I feel that uh, uh, one sort of one person, one vote with single member districts and first past the post is, you know, it, it's its main virtue is simplicity. But it means that people's preferences are not as clearly 
clearly expressed and fully expressed as in many other systems, but those other systems have the uh, unfortunate side effect of being much more complex. I'd certainly, I think there's something to be said for different systems. And I think, uh, you know, as, as you have said a number of times before, under our current system, this is what we're going to get, and there's no way around that. But the idea that we're going to change this system in any way that's going to allow any sort of meaningful participation by third parties is, I think, is uh, about as likely as the Cleveland Browns winning three Super Bowls in a row. Yeah, I mean, that might even be too likely. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, and I, I so, you know, uh, to the voting reform question, I mean, there are different kinds of voting reforms you can have. However, just know, I mean, this is one of the things that we have very well established in political science. No amount of voting reform in single member districts with first past the post elections is going to result in a multi-party system, right? So none of the tinkering that you might do in there. Now, maybe some of that tinkering gives you options that you prefer in some way, but if if the hope is to go for, to use some kind of voting reform pattern to get a multi-party system, it will not happen, right? I mean, right. that's just a it's a hard no, <laughs> um, and that's not just me saying that. That's that's what the evidence tells us as as political scientists. Now, the other question that you had there about the proportional representation, it is very strange for Americans to think about voting for a party. Um, but remember that when you vote for a party in a proportional representation system, you you know the people because that what you have in a PR system is what are called party lists. So the parties actually rank order the the members. And what that means is, is so the, the closer to one you are effectively, the more guaranteed you are to get a spot in your Congress or in your parliament, right? Because if you get even just one seat, then the guy who is in spot number one gets a seat. So you order your people that way. So it, when you're voting for a party, it's not as if you don't know the specific people who would be getting the most likely seats and the you know the the next set of batches and so forth. So if you really hated everybody on the party list for some party, then you would obviously say, well, wait a second, I'm not going to vote for the you know the blank party, the Labour Party. I'm thinking of Great Britain, even though they don't have a PR system. Um, the other thing you can do if you if you're interested in PR but you want people is what happens in Germany. In Germany, they have a, a multi ballot system, a two ballot system, where you vote but both vote for an individual person and you vote for a party, and then after the voting is done, they reconcile those two, um, so that you get both the personalized nature of voting for a person for your district, but you're also getting uh, the advantages, the multi-party advantages, if that's what you want, of the PR system. Uh, so that might be something that you could do. So that's that's the way that you pick individuals. Anything you want to add with that, Mike? Or? No, I just I guess the only thing I, I would add is this was a great week to ask that question because Trey is our resident comparative electoral systems expert. That uh, is definitely not my area. And so I'm so happy we got the question this week because uh, definitely of all the politics guys, you are without a doubt the one most qualified. That was a great answer. Well, I appreciate that, right? So somewhere there's a number of graduate professors who's happy with me since that was my second area, right? And they're like, yes, he remembered his things. Um, so we have another really interesting question. And this one is from Josh, uh, Mike. And he says, not really a policy question, but I'm wondering, how did you guys decide to get into politics and uh, professorial stuff as a profession? Hmm. Okay, I I don't know if we've ever actually gotten that question before. No, I nothing guess, like that. For, for 
for my all of a kind of a personal learn no more about the politics guys um yeah i guess from from my perspective i was in uh, uh i was in college and i went through i cycled through a bunch of majors uh, history business i think maybe two or three other things um and uh I just found myself in an intro to American politics class, and I, I loved arguing. I, I don't know. I just, and this was this gave me kind of the broadest scope for arguing. I was a pretty radical, fiery type of person. I would argue with my professors, who I felt were largely all secret communists or not so secret communists. Um, and uh, I would actually, I would actually argue uh, exams questions that were marked wrong for other students, which got me kicked out of more than one class. And in fact, <laughs> uh, I, I just love being that, that smart ass in the back of the classroom who would just do that. And I, I thought, well, wait a second, I can do this for a living potentially and get paid to do this sort of thing. So that that's how it that's how it happened for me. The idea that someone would pay me to talk about and argue about politics. Now I became much less argumentative as I like think learned more and became more interested in actually helping people come together as opposed to just the the the, the cut and thrust of argument. But I, I think still the, the the thrill of it and, and you know that the, the appeal of it is what kind of what kind of drew me to that over over anything else. And you know, my first love, I wanted to be a linebacker for the Pittsburgh Steelers. I, I do not have the build for that or the talent <laughs> by any means. So uh, I had to go to my second choice, which was a political scientist. How about you, Trey? That's a fascinating one two choice. Um, yeah. <laughs> So uh, for me, I actually ended up at uh, the university that I did uh, at, at Northern Kentucky University, actually, um, by accident. Um, and that's a long story, but I won't, uh, I won't go into that. And so I was not planning on actually staying at NKU or pursuing political science. And just like Michael, I took an intro to political um, science class with a professor who's no, there, no longer there anymore, actually. And she was a lot of fun. And she actually uh, suggested uh, that I take a class uh, from two different gentlemen, one of which was Michael Baranowski. <laughs> well, there you go. Like and that. so I ended up taking uh, your, I don't know if you remember this, I was in your constitutional law class. Oh, wow. That's, that's, that's a while ago. <laughs> that's been a long it? time yeah. ago. And I loved that class. And so I also took classes. There was a lawyer who taught at NKU. Um, and I thought I was going to be a lawyer is what I, I thought I was going to do. Oh, thank God we saved you from that. Jerry. Oh, I know. And so I thought, well, I'm going to be a lawyer. So I took the con law class. As a matter of fact, to this day, it's one of my proudest moments because I was in your class and I was always the guy who like prepped all the briefs. So oh, I yeah. would always be the first one to be like, yeah, I'll just get this out of the way. And I remember we were like at the midterm and you were trying to get more people to talk. And you basically just said, no, wait a second, Trey. And he said, look, <laughs> Trey has an A now. And, you know, discussion. So if anybody else would like to try to get a grade, why don't somebody else raise <laughs> I, I totally remember that, actually. Yeah, it You're was like always nice rock. to have you in class because I knew if when all else failed, I could turn to you and there would be something good that would come out. So, yeah. Anyway, I was just proud of that. But anyway, point being is, is that I thought I was going to be a lawyer. And so I went to Chase Law School and sat in on some law classes and I took the LSAT and I realized... And I interned for a lawyer and I thought, oh my goodness, this is horrible. <laughs> so no yeah. offense, Jay, if you're listening to this episode, I'm not saying that it's bad for everybody. It was just horrible for me. I was just depressed all the time. 
because yeah. you were always dealing with these depressive things. And what I realized, uh, Josh, was what I was really interested in. I was interested in understanding human behavior and why people behaved the way they did inside of certain legal systems. And and that was that was political science, right? And so I thought, well, I guess what I, you got to do if you want to do that is you got to do more math and you got to go to grad school. And so I did. Um, and, and I think graduate school has something like it kind of sucks you in. And so then before oh, yeah. you know it, you have, they're telling you, like, go away. You have a doctorate now. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. And that's how, I, that's how I ended up getting into, uh, getting into it from this angle. Yeah. So there you go, Josh. All right. You owe it all to Michael Baranowski. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so on a less personal question, we have one from Dusty Michael. Uh, that asks, how do you, does the politics guys think that tariffs will impact Midwestern farm states when it comes to the midterm elections? Oh, I think that's, that's a really good question. Well, I, obviously, the the Trump plan to you know essentially pay off some some of these farmers billions of dollars worth of uh, uh, compensation for what they're they're losing in the tariffs. I think is you know. They were thinking about the midterms to a certain extent, but I guess you would think that if people were rational voters and that's they were basing this on strictly economic interest, that it would have a significant impact in a lot of these races. But I think based on what I believe I understand about how people vote and, and how they you know base their choices, that it's not going to have that much of an impact. Certainly, I think that, you know, people who like Trump personally and like sort of Republicans, what they believe Republicans stand for personally. I don't see it as having much of a swing in a lot of races. Maybe it could have some effect at the margins in a couple of races, but honestly, not so not so much, I think. And also I think there are some people who believe the administration's position, which I understand to essentially be, you know, we're playing a game of chicken here with the rest of the world. And trust us, they will blink and we will end up being able to essentially reset the entire trade field uh, that will advantage us in, in, a, in a way. And so hang in there. And, and I think there are people who are willing to trust the administ- this administration on that. So I think for those reasons, I don't see it as having a big impact. But again, at the margins, it could. And in some close range races, at the margins can, can be a big difference. But But overall... Not so much. What do you think, Trey? Yeah, I agree. As a matter of fact, Dusty, if you wanna if you wanna get real technical, there's actually a book by a guy named Anthony Downs called it, uh, "An Economic Theory of Voting," and I think his model is deeply flawed. Just a heads up. <laughs> yeah. um, but I think it's the model that most people, when they're thinking about elections, use in their heads. And what that model is, is in short, is it's it's kind of a rational model, and it says is is that I predict the kinds of effects that will happen to me based on my electoral choices. And then I vote for the candidate who gives me the greatest benefit uh, for voting for them effectively. And it's kind of a, a rational theory. The pragmatic problem with this though, and why we need other kinds of models, Dusty, is that it is, that is a really complicated way to vote. So imagine I send to you, okay, so you're a Midwestern uh, farmer. <clears throat> now I am in office or I'm proposing to run for office. And here's what I'm going to do. Now, what you're going to have to figure out if you want to be a totally rational actor is you're going to have to A, figure out the likelihood that proposal will go into effect. 
You've got to figure out how that proposal will specifically affect you personally. You then have to figure out how that uh, effect on you will change over time. And then apparently, you know, in this case, impact your pocketbook. That's about seven too many steps. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, you know, and I think there might be some listeners saying, but wait, I do that. And and certainly, you know, I, I think to a certain extent, Trey, that you and I also do that. And which is why I think some people have, they naturally assume, we. I think it's a human tendency to naturally assume that other people look at the world and analyze it in the same way that we do. But what we as political scientists know is that that may be true for us. That may be true for, I'm sure that's true for a lot of our listeners, because if you're listening to this, it's because you you have a much more interest in politics and policy than the average person. And especially since you're listening to this show, you care about, you know, uh, facts and analysis much more than screaming and that sort of thing. But most people just aren't like that. And mm-hmm. They're the ones who decide elections, not not us, unfortunately, because we philosopher kings, we you know, it'd be so much better if we were the ones in charge of this. But but sadly, sadly, elections are not decided by politics, guys, listeners. I would be all for that. You know, anyway. Well, and, you know, the thing to keep in mind is that my, the answer here doesn't mean that tariffs can't or never will have an impact on elections. Just not this one, because it's too it's too rapid. Now, if you continue to have pain as a result of this over a longer period of time and that pain becomes more inescapable then that might have an impact yeah yeah that's a good point yeah so just just so you can know i mean i don't think either of us are trying to say that in the long run it can't ever have an impact but you know your question is this kind of a very immediate one so just to just to be clear so we i think we have time for another question so why don't we take Dan's, um, Dan said he loves the show, but sometimes Good we way get, to start. Oh, there's I, always a but. There's always a but. I love your show, <laughs> but it seems that we've gotten bogged down in the week-to-week Trump gossip. We're two months out from the election, and there's virtually no discussion about polls or the election. It's fine to discuss Cohen and the Manafort cases, but there's a very important missing context that none of this Mueller stuff is moving the needle with the polls or Trump's approval. So. What about all those poll numbers? Well, um, yeah, I, I think it's a. I think there are two parts to this, right? Uh, uh, the first part is how much time and space on the show we uh, devote to Trump gossip, you know, as you might call it. And let's take that separately, if that's okay, Trey. Yeah, let's um, do that. You know, we started the politics guys to be first and foremost about about policy, right? And I think we can sort of. I don't know. I'm just thinking about this on the spot. So forgive me. But I think we can kind of break down most political discourse into or discussion into three basic categories. There's elections. Uh, there's uh, policy, and then there's the sort of gossipy human psychodrama type of thing. Now, of those three things, policy is, I would argue, by far the most important and by far the most inherently boring. Right, which is why it's hard to find an audience. I always tell my students, it's like, okay, this stuff is boring but important, you know. Um, uh, and and so I think the stuff that's the most uh, interesting inherently is the oh my god, did you see what Donald Trump tweeted about whoever, right? And Donald Trump is a master at that sort of thing. And I think maybe sometimes we have that natural human tendency to get sucked into that. We we try to avoid it, and I think we do a lot less of that 
all kind of, oh my God, look at what Donald Trump just said stuff than a lot of other outlets. But sometimes we talk about it and we try to keep the discussion of that into how it fits into the larger discourse, what it means about our institutions and how they function in that. Are we always perfect about that? Certainly not. Um, do I hate it when people ask and answer their own questions? I certainly do. And I can't believe I just did that. But <laughs> but, but anyway, uh, so I think that's, you know, there's that, that part of it, right? But the second part of it, Trey, is the, you know, that that elections and, and polls in the elections. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my, my feeling of this as a political scientist, uh, I think it's fair to say that for the most part, people are not paying attention to elections until fairly soon before the elections. Now, uh, traditionally for, uh, November elections, we say that the public really does the, the season doesn't really start until after labor day. Right. And Labor Day, I mean, we're recording this a couple of days before Labor Day. So we're just at the real, real beginning of the point where people are paying attention and the point where polls really start to matter in any meaningful way. So I expect that we will be looking at polls a lot more in the future. But again, our fundamental reason for the, you know having this show is you know elections are important obviously they're hugely important because they're the basis of you know who's going to be making these policy decisions but what really matters is what policy decisions we get and i think sometimes that gets reversed in the popular presses it's the horse race that's important it's who wins and who loses but but no that's fundamentally backwards what really matters is what is what what do these elections mean in terms of the policy that affects everyday americans lives and that is always what we're trying to focus on. And so I think sometimes we focus more on that and less on the polls, which is not to say they're not important. So that's kind of my two cents on that. Trey, uh, what, what's your thought on that? Well, let me kind of take on his, his the third part of your question there, Dan. And that was, you're asking about like, I think one of the important things and the reason you're looking at polls is you say, well, we're missing that none of the molar stuff is moving the needle on the polls. Uh, and I think the answer is, is we don't know how much those things are going to move the polls quite yet because we're not in what Michael was talking about that season. So if you're interested in the midterm election specifically, then it's going to be tough to say how much that has affected or not affected it until we start getting into the next few weeks, right? Yeah. Now, does that mean that uh, there aren't any other kind of indicators? No, but just like Michael says, those are going to be very weak indicators until you get closer because there's just not enough attention being paid. Uh, and that goes back to your point when you're talking about, you know, this is the boring stuff, but it's important. Well, no, no voters aren't paying attention to the boring stuff yet. Now, for us, maybe, you know, the, the Mueller investigation is exciting. But if I head over to the quad today and say, okay, everybody, circle up who wants to talk about the Mueller case, I don't think there's going to be a lot of students yeah. <laughs> that are going to, you know, want to circle up and just talk about that unless I'm grading them next week on it, you know? Um, and likewise, if I head to the local pizza joint and say, hey, what does anybody think about Mueller? I mean, there's going to be a couple of people who are very vocal and everybody else is just going to be chewing and wondering what I'm talking about. Yeah. So the point I think to think about here is, Give this a little bit of time to mull for you and for me and for others. This is something that we should all have been thinking about, but that's not necessarily the way it plays out when you take a look at these effects. 
Yeah, I will say there is a standard political scientist answer to this, and this is the answer I tend to give, regardless of whether I know actually what's going on with the specific issue. It's really great for that reason. And that is that is to say, this could potentially matter at the margins. Uh, that, that's sort of our... <laughs> But but, it, but, it, but the reason why it's a standard answer is because based on what we know about voting behavior, that's almost always close to the right answer, basically, you know. And so for most elections, no, it's not going to matter because most elections aren't decided at the margins. But in certain close races, could this could this, you know, put one candidate over the top or not? You know, sure. Yeah. And that is true. And it's always it's frustrating in some ways which is kind of backwards from other sciences, right? When you find something that's really stable in chemistry, you get really excited, um, but you find something stable in human behavior and it kind of bothers everybody because then it means you're not predicting it on the most recent yeah. event. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, one thing I will add is for those of you who are really, really interested in getting into the numbers, uh, 538.com just came out uh, a few days ago, I think it was, with their uh, house model, which is an amazing model that builds in all kinds of different polls and 38. I mean, it's got all, it's, it's the most complex and comprehensive model. I was fascinated just reading through the methodology of it because that's the kind of person I am. But I would suggest if you're interested in some really intricate polling data, that would be a great place to start. And so, you know, head on, head on over there and you'll be, you'll, you'll get polling data until your eyes bug out. That's absolutely right. But I want to point out that neither Michael or I will quiz any of you on the methodological background. Of- <laughs> no, 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 that would just be cruel. Anyway, well, we want to thank you so much again uh, for joining us this week. Uh, I would hope that we've gotten to all your questions. And if we haven't, please send us your questions for our yes. next listener mail. Uh, we need, we want them. We're always interested in them. Uh, so you can send them to us a bunch of different ways. One, of course, is mail at politicsguys.com. You can also always ask questions to our Twitter account, which is at politicsguys. And we can also always take your questions, and I know many of you connect with us this way, is on Facebook at facebook.com slash politicsguys page. Please shoot us your questions. We'd love to hit them up as we get to around to them next week. We hope you'll join us then.